The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. The best day ever. Welcome to White River Christian Church. Uh, My name is Lance Stockton, and I'm the Noblesville Campus Pastor. That is weird. That is weird. Uh, This is my sweet daughter, Emmabel, um, and she is here today to help me read Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Uh, Today is also my sweet little girl's ninth birthday. So, uh, yes. Nine years old, and I cannot believe that. Uh, A couple months ago when we realized this was going to happen, I kind of told her, uh, today Jesus was going to win over your birthday. So this is a little bit of a peace offering here, okay? (laughs) So we're going to read scripture this morning. So if you join us, John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then when Simon Peter arrived and went inside, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said. If you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Amen. Thank you, sweet pea. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity it is this morning to gather and to celebrate what you did thousands of years ago for each and every single one of us. We stand in awe this morning as we sing in Christ alone. 
Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning and remind us of why we call ourselves Christians? We love you, and we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, over uh, spring break, my family and I got to go to Disney World, which we love Disney World, and here's what I've come to find, is that you either love Disney World or you dislike Disney World, okay? I, I, I very rarely met people who are in the middle, and if you're in the middle, it's probably because you've never been to Disney World, Right? You don't know whether you should love it or whether you shouldn't. Uh, There is an individual on our staff, her name is Michelle. She is our executive pastor over operations who would title me a Disney adult. If you don't know what that means, the Urban Dictionary, because it's such a reliable source, tells us that it's defined as this, a millennial adult with or without kids that can't stop talking about Disney, including the movies and the parks. Even if they do have kids, they're still way more obsessed with it than their kids would ever be. They probably engage in casual Disney bounding and visit the theme parks at least once a year. Michelle would say her definition of a Disney adult is someone you cannot trust. Okay? That's just it. So I guess she doesn't trust me. Uh, But I love Disney. And here's the thing is uh, I was conditioned to love Disney. Disney. You see, when I was growing up, my aunt and my uncle both worked for Disney and worked at Magic Kingdom. And so as kids, my parents would say, where do you guys want to go for vacation? We were like, Disney World. And they're like, okay. Why do they say okay? Well, because back then, not now, but back then, my family could sign us in for free. My grandparents lived about 26 minutes from the gates of Magic Kingdom. And so we could stay at my grandparents' place for free. Little did we know, it pretty much cost my parents nothing to take us to Disney World every year, right? And so that's what we did. We went almost every year. It probably explains a lot to you about me, right? Yeah, I don't know why you're laughing at that. Uh, But I loved it. So I thought I would show uh, you a couple pictures of little Lance. Uh, At one point during the parade, the guy who was supposed to be holding the balloons handed them to me, and I took them, right? Like... I had to give him back. I don't think that went over so well. But, uh, and then there's me. Uh, yes, that is me, blonde hair and all, uh, with Mickey Mouse, right? I, I love being at Disney. I have so many good memories of being at Disney. But when I think about the best day ever, one of the best day ever for me comes from a time we went to Disney. You see, my parents pulled us out of school the week after Thanksgiving. We had gone down to Florida to celebrate Thanksgiving Day with my family. And then the day after Thanksgiving, we went to Magic Kingdom. Now here's the deal. Uh, we walked in not knowing this. We, we had no idea what the day held. It was just another day at Magic Kingdom. What we would come to find out from my aunt later is that there were roughly 9,600 employees on property that day. And that the entire day, 10,000 visitors came, which means there was almost a one-to-one ratio in the park that day. There was hardly anyone there. In fact, there were so few people there, we figured this out pretty quick because we went to Space Mountain, we rode Space Mountain, and we walked right onto it. You know, you know a feeling, if you've ever walked right onto a ride, you're just, just like exhilarating, right? You get on it, you ride it, and you're like, that's the greatest thing ever. Well, what we noticed was there was no line, so we jumped off, went through the exit, we ran through the entrance, and we rode it again. We did that a third time, and the guy who was running the ride realized what we were doing. 
And he said, hey, listen, as you get on this time, when you get back around to the exit, just stay in your cart. We'll just send you through the hallway and you can just go again. <laughs> We're like, what? Are you kidding me right now? We are, are you serious? He's like, yeah, just stand. Okay. So we stay in there and we go through the dark hallway and there we are again at the entrance and he just sends us again. We wrote it eight times. <laughs> to our surprise, we walked over to Big Thunder Mountain and we did the same thing. We walked over to Splash Mountain and we just asked, can we just stay on and write, you know, like just send us through again. Yeah, sure. Why not? There's nobody here. It was the greatest day. In fact, as we were walking out, my, the monorail is my favorite thing at Disney. It's the thing that just moves you around so you can get into the park from the parking lot, but it's still great. Uh, and we're walking out to it, and I remember my brother just saying, this is the best day ever. Like for my brother and I, we thought we would hit the pinnacle, right? Everything from that point, it was all downhill. That was it. Life was, you know, like that was the best day ever. It just was to us. And so what I want to do is I want to ask you this question. When I say best day ever, what comes to mind? What day hits your mind? What, what are you thinking about right now? Kids, what was the best day that you can remember? And what I want you to do, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. So it's got to be quick. Okay? Let the kids go first, parents. Right? Tell your neighbor about your best day ever as quick as you can. You don't have as much time as me. Ready? Go. All right, I give you a little more than 30 seconds because you all were really going after that, all right? Uh, that's awesome. I, I hope you shared uh, some good stories there. I wish I could hear them all. I did hear them all, but I, I didn't. So uh, sorry about that. Um, and here's the thing. Is that day for us, for me, I didn't know it was going to be the best day ever. In fact, when we walked into the park, it was just another day going into Magic Kingdom. What happened was, is it became the best days ever. And when you think about yours, it's almost like as you look back on it, it's almost unbelievable, right? I mean, you think about uh, the park, and when we went to Magic Kingdom this uh, past spring break, it's hard to believe that you could walk around that place and feel like you're the only people there. And yet, when, when you think about it, the, the memories come back, the ideas, the thoughts, the feelings, Sometimes it's hard to believe it actually happened. But here's the thing. What if I told you that Mary, not Mary Jesus' mother, but Mary whom Jesus cast seven demons out of, that, that your best day ever pales in comparison to what I think Mary would describe as her best day ever. Emma and I already read about that very day for Mary, but I want to recap it just so we're all on the same page. Uh, Early in the morning, 
You see, Jesus, Jesus died. We know this. Jesus died and was buried and was in the tomb for three days. And so if you can imagine, sometimes we miss this. And Philip, I'm so thankful for Philip who led us in worship and the team, but also for just Philip's heart because he kind of teaches us before we come out here and are able to lead and teach you guys. And he talked about like that Saturday moment. You know, like we have Good Friday where we, where we remember that, that, that Jesus died on the cross and it's solemn and it's sad, but there's that Saturday. And Saturday almost feels hopeless. If you could imagine being Mary, this is Mary whom Jesus cast seven demons out of, who then continued to follow Jesus, the one who had taught her, led her, had done miracles in front of her, who she had cared for, the personal needs of Jesus, and she watches him die on the cross. This is a man who talked about eternal life, the man who said, you can't go where I'm going, and they couldn't understand that. Mary would have heard these things. And Saturday, what must have felt for Mary, she contemplated losing her best friend, the one whom she looked up to, the one who saved her. She comes out to the tomb early the next morning, expecting to find the tomb the way that she left it Friday night with a stone rolled in front of it. But instead, she finds that the tomb is open. I imagine there was a little panic there. She walks up to it, and she's trying to figure out what has happened because it just feels like another evil thing and a string of evil things that have taken place. And so for her and her mind, she's thinking somebody stole his body. Not the best day ever. In fact, probably the worst day ever for Mary. And Mary goes, and what she does, she goes and gets uh, Peter and the other disciple. Now, I want you to know this as we jump in because this is important because it, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, this is it, right? The other disciple is John, the one who's writing this story. So when you read that and you're like, wow, who's this other disciple? Who's John talking about? He's talking about himself. He's just talking in third person, right? And what's he tell us? Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Thank you for that, John. Right? I'm not going to lie. If I'm writing the story and I won, I'm going to tell everybody I won, right? That other guy, wow, he's fast. Whoo! Yeah, you beat Peter. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then, it's about time, Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, it's not the way it should be. If his body had been stolen, the wrappings would have gone with him. If he would have gotten up and and raised himself from the dead, then he would have unwrapped everything himself. He wouldn't have just disappeared. The only way for that to happen is for God to have done something with Jesus' body. And you and I know what God did with it, right? We know. It tells us this in verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, don't forget I was the fastest, also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said he must rise from the dead. Do you understand what just happened? It is the first account of belief 
in the resurrection. John is the first person to believe in the resurrection. And if you're not sure what the resurrection means, this is what it means, plain and simple, and as easy as I can tell it to you, that God raised Jesus from the dead, brought him back to life, and gave him an eternal body. It's the same we put our hope that will happen to us one day. God raised Jesus from the dead. John believed in that moment. What must it been to be Mary? Mary is still standing on the outside of the tomb, and here comes Peter, who is absolutely dumbfounded and confused, and then John, who is, comes out believing, and I can't just, I can't help, this is not in scripture, but this is what I think. I can't help but think he's coming out with a smile on his face because he's connecting dots of what Jesus said and what just happened. And then the craziest part of this story to me is that last line in verse 10. Then they went home. They left Mary. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she looks back in again. But this time there's an angel sitting there at the foot and an angel sitting there at the head. And the angel says, why are you crying? Mary probably steps back from the tomb. And then there's a man standing there that she assumes is the gardener. He asks the same question. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary, in desperation, and probably the lowest of lows, says, just tell me where you put him. If you put him somewhere, I'll go get him myself. And then it happens. I don't know how to describe this best to you. The only thing I can think of, and this is actually my wife's idea after I preached last night, she's good. Not only does she dress me, but she <laughs> also critiques me <laughs> in good ways. Just imagine somebody that you've loved deeply and dearly for most of your life passes away. One day your phone rings and you pick it up and you hear that person say your name. Mary. 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 There's an exclamation point at the end. I think Jesus was trying to kick her out of her funk. Mary. She turns and exclaims, Rabboni, teacher, this is, you're alive. How are you standing here? It's this intimate moment where Jesus, with one word, her name, tells her, that didn't defeat me. That didn't defeat me. It is a beautiful picture. And in fact, kids, if you have your sheets that our, our kids team made for you, there's a place for you to draw a picture of that. I would love for you to just draw a picture of the tomb being and the stone rolled away and Jesus standing there, Mary standing there, because it's beautiful. It's the moment her day goes from the worst day ever immediately to the best day ever. Because she realizes what he said he, did, he was gonna do, he did. He's not dead, he's alive. And in fact, I wonder sometimes if, if you and I completely understand what took place right before Mary got to the tomb, sometime in the night. I wonder if we, I wonder if you understand what took place 
before the stone was rolled away. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, because Paul, Paul understood And in fact, Paul wrote about it in multiple books. We'll look at two places where he wrote about it. But this is what he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This is about you and I. This is what took place right before Mary got to the tomb. Verse 23, chapter 3 of Romans. For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Listen, look up here, listen. God made you right, excuse me, Jesus made you right in God's sight when he was resurrected from the grave. It's what makes this the best day ever. It's what makes it the best day ever. Before this, you couldn't do anything. And we're gonna read that in a second, anything. To help yourself be right before God. Jesus did it for you. Paul understood it. He says, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God then when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them and in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, no. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it's based on faith, so that we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. There is nothing that you can do, kids, on your sheet. It says Jesus made you right in God's sight that night. He did. That night, at some point, we don't know when that happened, at some point that night, God rose Jesus from the grave, and when he did that, you and I were then made right before God. That's why it's the best day ever. That's why we celebrate. That's why we gather and we sing in Christ alone. It's why we are here this morning. You and I were hopeless, and now we are hope-filled. I tease Michelle, who's on our staff, but I'm gonna tell a good story about Michelle now, so hopefully she won't be mad at me later, right? Michelle and DJ uh, Barnett have a sweet uh, girl who is now in college. Her name's Cameron. But at the time of this story, she was about this tall, about the size of some of these kids I see out here. She's back in the preschool hallway, and we were teaching about Easter. We were teaching about Jesus being alive. And as they went to get their kid down the preschool hallway, their little girl came flying out of the small group room and running down the hall yelling, He's alive! Jesus is alive! Michelle, Michelle says she just stood in this hallway weeping because she got it. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. He is alive. And as a result, you and I are alive. We are. And in fact, we're not just alive. 
You don't need to turn there. I just want you to listen to this passage because this is how God sees you and I now as a result of Jesus being alive. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. This is God. Through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Listen, I don't know how you walked in here or what you walked in here with. I don't know as you looked into the mirror this morning what you saw or maybe what you say to yourself in the morning. But what I can tell you from my perspective is I tell myself the worst often. I believe my sinfulness more often than my Savior. But what I want you to hear is that as a result of what Jesus did on the cross and defeating the grave, God looks at you. God looks at me. And he sees a blameless holy, without a single fault, child of God. Because when Jesus went to the cross, God looked down and saw you and I and all of our sinfulness. In fact, everybody who had, we told in scripture, before that, in their sinfulness, all of that, that's what he saw hanging on the cross. So that now when he looks down at you and I, he sees his son. He sees holy, blameless, without a single fault. That's the way God sees you. That's what makes it the best day ever. Amen? Amen. This past week, a week ago today, I attended a celebration of life service for a man who was a father, a grandfather, a pastor, but most of all, a follower of Jesus. And, you know, celebration of life services can be 30 minutes long and they can be an hour and a half. This one was an hour and a half. And this man's life ended with six people, not including his son and daughter, who stood up to share a testimony about who this guy was, ranging from his college roommate to a man who was saved by this individual all the way up to a guy who works with him up until the day he died. The next morning, I was asked to listen to the last sermon this man preached, which was a week before. He died very suddenly. And in that sermon, his last sermon, it's like he knew it was coming. He preached and he asked this question as he was talking about the legacy that you will leave. And he said, will you leave when you die a title or a testimony? Will you leave a title or a testimony? He said, you know what? The day that you die, they're going to bury you six feet under the ground, throw dirt in your face, and go back to the church and eat potato salad. They are. The question is, will you have left a title or you've left a testimony of the best day ever? Where you left a testimony of a Savior that died on a cross for you. Where you leave a testimony of being forgiven 
and sharing the greatest news that's ever been given to human history with everyone else that you come in contact with? That's the question. That's the question I've been wrestling with this week. Will I leave a testimony? This week, when you walk into work, will you leave a testimony? Kids, when you look at your parents, will they leave you a testimony? But Jesus died on a cross, three days later rose from the grave. And in doing so, he made you right in God's sight. And that is the best day ever. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I am utterly overwhelmed. the fact that you would die on a cross for me. And while I was still a sinner, and God, I know that every single one of us that sits in this room is still a sinner to this day. You died, you defeated death, you made us right in God's sight because you love us. And if there's anybody in this room that does not understand that today, would you move their body and their feet to come up here and have a conversation with somebody because we carry with us the best news about the best day ever in human history. Holy Spirit, would you go with us? Would you empower us? Would you embolden us to share that news with everybody that we come in contact with so that the day that we are put in the ground, we will have left a testimony speaks of who you are, Jesus. Oh, how we love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise, the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.